If you guys could open your Bible to Isaiah chapter 55, and you, everybody get a, a card, a great card with verse on it. Good. It's on there too, but if you, I don't know if you are a mark up your Bible kind of person. I, know I kind of encourage you guys to do that. I encourage you to mark them up this morning as we go through Isaiah 55 together. I want to pray. Let me pray for us, and then um, we're going to jump into this passage of Scripture. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you for my friends in this room, and I thank you for their example to me. I thank you for their love for you. Thank you for the way they walk with you week in and week out through the highs and lows of life, through the challenges, the discouragements, and the joys and the blessings. Lord, I pray just an extra dose this morning of your spirit on us, that we would have ears to hear and to listen that you would incline our ears in the right direction this morning so that as you speak to us, we would receive it the way that you want us to receive it. And Lord, I thank you for the children that are here this morning. And I pray that your spirit would descend on them and that they would be able to take away bits and pieces and nuggets from your word this morning that would build them up, that would strengthen them, that would build them into and grow them into young men and women who love you and fear you and want to walk with you all the days of their lives. So do that in this room and do that in Christ, kids, I pray. Bless the teachers back there. God, they are discipling the most precious gift and resource we have as a church, our little kids. And so give them patience and love and precision as they, as they lead them to the gospel this morning. Bless Christ, kids, we ask. And be here with us. Be here, Spirit. Help me. Give me, give me good, clear thoughts and ones that are truthful so that we are built up in grace this morning. Strengthen our hearts with the grace of Isaiah 55, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So God is on a mission. It is a mission that began before you were born. In fact, it's a mission that began before the foundations of the world. We talked last week about the mission It is God redeeming, gathering, sanctifying, and sending fallen people into the world for his glory. He rescues people, then he gathers them together in groups, then he changes them, he sanctifies them, makes them more like Jesus, and then he sends them out to be a blessing to others. In the New Testament, this mission is translated as, we exist to glorify God by building a community of spirit-filled disciples who are living on gospel mission, or in short, gospel boxes to my left, to your right, gospel, community, mission, and we talk about our mission being a going and a growing mission. So we are joining God on this mission, but what you also need to know is there's somebody who's not happy about this mission. There is somebody else who is on a mission. The world is on a mission, and the devil is on a mission, and their mission is to confuse and to derail our mission, <laughs> It is to distract us from our mission. It is to confuse us in our mission. And I think, personally, my assessment of Christianity, of of my life, of the challenges I see in our lives, is that our enemy's perhaps number one strategic way of pulling off his plan to derail us and confuse us in our ministry is by enticing us to believe the world's agenda That the world has everything in it that we need for life and satisfaction. And so the world distracts us constantly by different things. So my aim last Sunday was to just slow down. 
everybody to slow down, cut our to-do lists in half, learn what it means to rest in the grace of God, just to enjoy God, to slow down. That was my aim last week. I think what the enemy wants us to do is fill our lives with so much frantic rushing around, so much entertainment and information and sports and all the things that just confuse us and distract us from money and houses and just busyness that he blinds us to the reality that we're distracted. (laughs) We're so distracted we don't even know we're distracted because we can't take time to think about how distracted we are. So we just keep going and adding more and doing more. And I think that's part of his strategy in getting us off of the mission that God has us on. So I want us to consider this morning again what it looks like for us to slow down, to eliminate some of the frantic hurry, and perhaps even just to recalibrate our lives a little bit so that God is at the center of our world instead of anything, everything our enemy wants to be at the center of our world. You understand? There's always a tension in your heart every moment of every day between God and his plan being at the center of my heart and the enemy and his plan being at the center of my heart and my own flesh. And there's this war that goes on every day as I wake up between who is going to dominate the emotions and the thoughts and the feelings that I have. Life is busy. Well, that's the background of Isaiah 55, believe it or not. So starting in Isaiah 40, God's people are returning back from exile. So they've been gone for a long time, and now they're all beginning to return to Jerusalem. And I don't know if you can imagine, it's sort of like coming back from quarantine, like new freedom, <laughs> like I can do stuff now. And so I imagine that as they were caravanning in groups back from exile, they were talking about all the stuff they were going to do in Jerusalem. All the things they missed that they used to do, they couldn't do anymore. All the parties they were going to have, the wine they were going to drink, the food they were going to eat, the hobbies that they missed while they were in exile, all the things that they can't wait to get back to Jerusalem to give their lives to. And then, as they get closer to Jerusalem, they hear what sounds like might be a crazy guy off in the distance. Come! Everyone who thirsts, Come to the waters. What is that all about? Who is this crazy? So some people are, I'm sure, avoiding him at this point. Remember, this is, this is not just written word. This was spoken first. So Isaiah is shouting these things out in the streets of Jerusalem as people are walking. It'd be like me standing outside of Walmart, shouting out these things. Or probably more accurately, me standing on the balcony here above on the stairs as you were coming in. I wanted to do it this morning, but I chickened out. <laughs> Come! Everyone who thirsts, come to me. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why? 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 He says, do you spend your money for that which does not satisfy why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy listen listen diligently and come and eat what is good he says come listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant. 
my steadfast, sure love for David. These words echoed through Jerusalem, through the streets, warning people. This is not just Isaiah's words. These are God's words to the people. Don't get distracted. Come here if you're thirsty. Come here if you're giving your labor and your money to things and listen to me. I've got more for you, God is saying to his people. And this morning, God is also saying the same thing to us. Come, he says. I mean, these words in these three verses are really spectacular, yet urgent. It's almost too good to be true what God is offering in these verses. I, I choose the words spectacular and urgent. Spectacular and urgent invitation, sermon title. Kids who are writing down sermon titles. This is a spectacular, it's a big word, yet urgent invitation from God. And I choose the word spectacular because did you catch this spectacular offer God is making in these verses? I mean, just look at verse 2. He, he offers to satisfy. He offers to give you what is good. He offers you delight. Look at verse 3. He says, live. He offers you steadfast, sure love. So this is spectacular. This is, this is an offering of life that he gives to us. And I choose the word urgent. So everybody's looking on my shoulder. That's not even supposed to be up yet, but that's okay. <laughs> so I thought, what's everybody looking at? I choose the word urgent because you catch the 12 imperative verbs. You guys remember English class, imperative verbs, the action verbs, things we're called to do. There's 12 of them in this verse, in these verses. Verse 1, come. Come to the waters, that's two. Come a third time. Buy, eat, come, buy wine and milk. Did you catch them? That's just verse one. Then he tells you to listen diligently, to eat, to delight. And then in verse three, incline your ear, come to me, hear that your soul may live. So there's 12 things he calls us to. So this is a spectacular invitation. It's also urgent. Come on, listen up, he wants us to hear. Listen to me. And, and all I want to take away just from this, this beginning part is this. Do you realize how inviting God is? I mean, every one of these is an invitation from God to his people. He, he's wooing us to himself. He's not sitting back passively. You know, those people are busy. At some point, maybe they'll pay attention. At some point, maybe they'll come to me and they'll get what they really want. Instead, he, he sends Isaiah, and he, he sends this passage to us so that we will hear what God has to say, so we'll wake up, so that we will listen to what he has to say to us. So this is a spectacular yet urgent poem of invitation, and it unfolds in three movements, and so we're just going to take the flow of the poem. We're going to look at the three movements that happen through this poem, and the first one is this. It is a spectacular and urgent invitation to the thirsty and the broke. Any of you ever been broke or close to broke? We've been really close to broke at times, years ago. Some of us don't know. I mean, today, I don't know what it would look like to be broke. So he, he brings these terms together. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. So they're thirsty and they have no money. So you notice how, to, how it opens up? He says, come, who? Everyone. Right? He, he opens it to everybody. So there's no excluding anybody. 
And then as the poem forms, he narrows it down to specific groups of people. So first it's, come everyone, and then he narrows it down to who thirsts. People who are thirsty. So this invitation goes out to people who are thirsty, and then he says, and have no money, who are flat broke. They're thirsty for what satisfies, for what brings goodness and delight and life, but they're flat broke so they can't buy it. They look at their life and they say, I'm really thirsty and I've tried everything else and I cannot satisfy the thirst in my soul. Everyone around me seems to be satisfied, excited about all the things they have, but I am still thirsty. I mean, this is just a crazy shout out. The first word there actually isn't come. It's, whoa! It's, hey you, over there! (laughs) It's a a shout of, I want to get your attention. Pay attention, you people who are thirsty. So that's kind of like an overview, if you will, of the first verse. So the question that you should ask yourself when we get to this point is, are you thirsty? Am I thirsty? Does it describe you this morning? Do you assess your life and realize, you know what, I'm really broke. And I'm thirsty. And I'm fighting to find things that satisfy me. And my wheels just keep spinning as I do more and more. Well, if that is you this morning, I have really good news for you. Because God is inviting you to come. He's inviting you to come to him. And his invitation is glorious and urgent. So much that he repeats it three times. The first one is, whoa, to the waters. Come to the waters. Come, buy and eat. And then he says, come, buy wine and milk. Now, I don't want to assume anything here. But God is not inviting you to buy a jug of water and a gallon of milk or a bottle of wine. These are metaphors, right? You guys know what metaphors are? These are metaphors for what God is doing. So you can live without water for only so long, right? And then you die. You dehydrate. So he's offering you life. He's offering you refreshment. Milk. Kids, your parents ever say, drink your milk? Maybe you don't do that anymore. Drink your oat milk or whatever it is that we drink these days. I don't know. Soy milk. Yeah. How you milk an almond, I don't know, but yeah. It makes you grow strong, right? Wine makes you glad. It gladdens the heart. God is offering those things to us because we are broke and thirsty. So he wants to say, I'm going to give you water. I'm going to give you life. I'm going to give you milk. I'm going to give you strength. And I'm going to give you wine because wine will make you joyful. That's what he offers us. So if you're here this morning knowing that you're broke and thirsty, knowing that you're at the end of your rope and there's nothing in this world that's giving you strength, the invitation is come to me. Come to him for water. Come to him for wine. Come to him for milk. Come for life and for strength and for joy. Come three times. He wants to get your attention. And the kicker of all of this is that these are available to people who are broke. So he's using a word play here. He's sending this to people who are broke. He's saying, come and buy. Oh, but you have no money. So come and buy, but you don't need money and you don't need price. In other words, this is all free. It's all free, he's saying. So 
you walk into the store and you go grab your half gallon of milk and you look at it and you go, it's got no price tag on it and I've got no money. Now, I don't know about you guys, but when I go to a store and I can't find a price tag, it drives me crazy. I want to know how much this thing is. In this case, it's good that there's no price tag on it. There's no price tag. Huh. And then you go and you grab your gallon of water. You go, man, I'm really thirsty. I need strength. I'm dehydrating. I need thirst. Oh, man, there's no price. Without price, there's no price on this. Uh, so I put it in my cart next to my milk. And I get my bottle of wine. All right, I got my joy, but <laughs> don't take that the wrong way. <laughs> or take it the right way. <laughs> and there's no price. There's no price on it. So I put them in my cart, and then I realize that as I walk out, there's nobody there collecting the money. They're free. So the things that I need the most, I get without having any money, and I find out that they're all free, and there's no price on them, and I walk out with them. That is the offer God is making. But the key is, to get them, you got to go to the store. And so Jesus says, come. Come to me. Come to the waters if you're thirsty. And I will give you the bread and the milk and the wine that your soul is deeply craving day in and day out. And so we ask ourselves, how can it be free? We're, we're good New Testament Christians, right? How is it free? Well, you don't have to go to the New Testament to find out. You just got to go back two chapters in Isaiah. You guys know those verses in Isaiah. Flip back just for a second to Isaiah 53. You guys know this. This is a famous, famous Old Testament passage that points to Christ. So chapter 53, verse 3, he was despised and rejected by man, by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and yet we esteemed him not. Verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. Verse 5, but he was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. We could keep going. But we know that it's only free in Isaiah because it was purchased in Christ on the cross. So for us, we get it free. So it's a beautiful thing for us because we know how God made it possible for us to come to him and to get it for free with no price and without money. And we know that Jesus fulfills this, right? John 7. This is the challenge of this passage. There are so many New Testament passages that you're probably thinking of. and You're going, Matt, why aren't you going there? It's because I already preached for too long. That's why I'm not going there. But here's one, John 7. You guys know this when we studied John. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. I have to believe that Jesus was referring back at least to this, maybe other Old Testament passages, but certainly to this one saying, hey, if you're thirsty, are you thirsty this morning? If you are, then come to me. Come and drink, Jesus says. I've got the water. I've got the milk. I've got the wine. I've got the life. I've got the strength. I've got the joy. What do you bring to the party? Thirst. 
broke thirstiness, empty pockets, and a soul that is thirsty. That's what you do to get into the party. That is your entrance fee. You're broke, and you're thirsty. So, are you thirsty today? Do you thirst? If you are, then you get to go to God. And he's there eagerly waiting to quench your thirst. I would encourage you right now, as you sit here, that if you hear these words of Isaiah and you go, I am so thirsty, that now is just a beautiful time to say, God, I am someone who thirsts and I'm broke. I'm weak and I'm lacking. I'm parched and I'm empty. I'm needy and I'm just spent. Those are the people God offers this invitation to. So if that's you this morning, turn to him. Tell him about your thirst and your hunger and let him meet your greatest needs. Well, that's the first movement through this poem. And the second one is this, point two. It is a spectacular and urgent invitation, not just to the poor and broke or the thirsty and broke, but to the wealthy and the busy. To the wealthy and to the busy. Did you catch that in verse 2? Why, he says. He comes at you with a question. So this is like another group of people, I think. Because in the first verse, you're broke, right? In verse 2, people have what? They got money, right? They got the money. So he poses a question to the second group of people. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which will not satisfy. So he goes right at the reality. There are people out there who've got plenty of money and plenty of ability. They have everything they need, all the resources they need, all the stuff they need. They have the money to get more of it if they want it. And so they're all set. They seem to be happy. And they have it all together. And so what does God do to them? God basically blocks the road and tries to get their attention through Isaiah. Because these people think they have their money and their cars and their houses and their sports and their food and their diets and their hobbies and their entertainment and their exercise routines, their new clothes, their makeup, their diets, their vacations, their education, and their free time. So they have life and strength and joy. And God goes, whoa, why do you think that you're going to get those things by spending your money and your labor that way? So in his grace, he stands in front of them. And he offers them something better. He offers them bread. He offers them bread. I didn't bring a loaf of bread this morning. I should have. I feel sorry for those of you that are gluten-free, but this analogy still works, I think. Because I love, I don't know, I don't know if I feel fuller ever than when I eat a loaf of bread. Not that I eat a whole loaf of bread, but I eat a bunch of bread. Like, that's the fullest I feel is after I've eaten a bunch of bread. And I wonder if the metaphor is here because of how wonderfully full the tummy feels when it is filled with bread. You know, the good bakery bread that's crunchy on the outside and soft and warm on the inside. It fills your tummy. And God is like standing in front of people going, why are you spending your money on bread that you know is not going to satisfy you? Why do you keep working and stuffing yourself with bread that's not really bread? 
when you can come to me and have real bread. That's his offering to us, and it's urgent. He wants to get our attention. It's so beautiful that God doesn't turn his back on these type of people and go, hey, look, you're all happy with all your stuff. I'm just going to let you go. Keep gorging yourself on all those things that won't make you happy and won't satisfy you and won't give you joy. I'm just going to let you go. Instead, he begins, he follows right up. After asking them why, he says, listen, and listen diligently. Do whatever he can to get their attention. Listen diligently, he says. And then he repeats it. It's listen diligently. And then he says, uh, incline your ear. You see it in verse 3? And then he says, hear that your soul may live. So it's listen diligently, incline your ear, hear. Three times he repeats it. Why? Why repeat it? Parents, why do we have to repeat ourselves? Why? Because very often, not all the time, but very often our kids don't listen. (laughs) Do you understand how much that is a symbol and symbolic of God in us. <laughs> Why does it take three or four times different points in our kids' lives to get their attention? Because they're busy and they're not paying attention. Just like us and God. So here through Isaiah, God is so kind. You're all busy with your stuff, so listen diligently. Incline your ear. Come to me. Hear that your soul may live. So he repeats it three times to get their attention and to get our attention so that we'll slow down and pause to listen what God has to say to us. What does he want to say to us? For those of us who have a ton of resources and the ability to get more, he offers us an opportunity really to joyfully repent and to do three things. You see them? He says, eat what is good. He offers you to eat something that's good. He says, delight yourself in rich food. That's rich, fatty steak. On the bone, wrapped in the fat. It's fatty. That's what it really does say in the Hebrew, I promise. Two pound, fat, heavy, rich, (laughs) slightly pink in the middle, rich with a side of onion rings. and, And then he says, come to me. So he's, he's like, he's like, stop eating garbage. I've got fat, rich food. I want you to eat what is good. I want your soul to live. That's the offering that he makes to us. I want your soul to live. So come to me for these things. You can have them. You can eat what is good. You can delight yourself from rich food. And you can find the strength and the desires of your heart and the things that your soul crave. It's just an urgent, beautiful wake-up trumpet call. As I've been working, I'm memorizing. I'm like, this is God just, just graciously just going, there's so much more. Come to me and get it. The offer is for you, but wake up and listen. Incline your ear and hear what I have to say. Now, now the challenge of this for me and you on the listening end of this sermon is to bring this application of this. Because if you don't see yourself as thirsty and broke, but you are, then you're in this category unknowingly. Does that make sense? You're busy, 
I've got my money and I've got my abilities and my time and my resources. And I'm running myself and my family ragged trying to find strength and life and joy and everything else. And God is standing in front of you going, hold on, why? 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 Why are you doing that? Listen to me. I've got more for you. Incline your ear. Stretch it out. Listen, listen here. And so all we can do is pray, God, help us through the power of your spirit to have the ability to slow down long enough to evaluate what are we spending our money on and what are we spending our labor on? And do we believe that it really is going to produce the life we're looking for in the end? Do we? Do we believe it? I, I can't make us, myself included, listen diligently. I can't make us incline our ears. I can't make us hear. But I promise you, if you do, God is there to meet you. So if you know, I know I'm thirsty. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm exhausted. I, I am thirsty and I'm broke. I'm at the end of my rope. He is saying, come to me. And if you have ears to hear God this morning, maybe you don't see how broke and needy you are, but you hear his voice, then the invitation's for you too to come to him for life and strength and joy. And so you have to ask yourself, where do I fit in this? Am I, am I thirsty and broke and I know I am? Or am I pretty strong right now and have resources, so I really don't know how broke I actually am? Well, no matter which group you're in, if you respond to God's invitation, there is, number three, a spectacular reward. There's just a crazy, spectacular reward for those who listen and respond. And I will make with you, he says, God speaking, I will make with you and I love these words, everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. Every word there is just rich with blessing. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, eternal, my steadfast, sure Love for David. So let's just take a minute here and pull that sentence apart. The reward for coming to God, knowing that you are broke and thirsty. The reward for coming to God, because you have ears to hear. All right, I know that I am trying to get bread and satisfaction, things that will never satisfy. The reward for coming to him for that is everlasting, covenantal, steadfast, sure love. Which is really at the root of what we all crave, Right? joyful, satisfying love. And at the end, really, it's God offering himself to us, right? He, he says in verse 3, come to me. And he talks about my steadfast love. It's an everlasting, steadfast, sure love that God offers to us. That means it is an alliance or a treaty that he makes with us. It, it is for all time. It's everlasting. It will never run out. It's steadfast and sure. It's reliable, and it's filled with love, a loving kindness, a merciful love. I mean, you package this verse all together, and what he's saying to us really is this. He's going to offer you, get a load of this, bread that doesn't get moldy. Maybe you guys like moldy bread? We give our moldy bread to our chickens unless it's too moldy, and then we don't want to kill them, so they don't even get it. So he offers you mold, bread that will never go moldy. We need, he, he's offering you satisfaction in your soul, fullness of life that will never go away. He's offering you milk that won't go sour. You ever put milk on your cereal and, oh, that'll never happen. 
meaning there's strength. Milk gives strength. He's, giving, he's offering you strength that won't go bad. He offers you water, which is life. It'll never dry up. You'll, you'll never go to the faucet and go, oh, no. Dang, well's shot. Never. The water's just going to be coming whenever you are thirsty. And wine that won't go bad. You take the cork off the bottle, you pour it. It could sit, drink a little bit every day for years, and it never goes bad. Never. That's what he offers you. It's everlasting. And he sums it up by saying, here's what you're getting. You're getting my covenantal love. My love that is sure and is steadfast. And then he picks a man to attach the love to. Who is it? David. So as good studiers of God's word and wanting to find out everything you can about God when you get to the Bible, you ask yourself the question, why? David. Why not my steadfast, sure love for Abraham, Noah, Elijah, Israel? Why David? I know why. <laughs> I really don't know why, but I have a good idea, and I think you do too. Why, David? Okay, we know something very positive about David. Why? What was he? Say it. He was a man after God's own heart. Okay, we know that. I think the reason he picks David, though, could be the opposite of that. I don't want to, like, throw David under the bus. Yeah. <laughs> but honestly, I think if there's anybody in the Old Testament to throw under the bus, it's David. I mean, dude has all the power that there is to have in the kingdom, and how does he use it? I mean, what do you guys think about somebody who's got power and authority, and they abuse their power? I mean, don't you just want to, like, yeah. Don't you? You, just don't use your, you don't use your authority that way. You hear stories in the news and it makes you rage. Like, you had the authority over that person and you did what? Like, that is like as bad as it gets. That's what David did. You know, you, we don't think long about rape. He, he, was a, he raped Bathsheba. He, he committed adultery. I mean, does it get any worse? Oh, let's add murder. I mean, if, if, if God can say of David, my steadfast Sure, everlasting love for David. I think God's trying to make a point. Like, I don't care what you've done, and you may have done some really bad things, and maybe you didn't do them, but you thought things that are horrific. Guess what? I have steadfast, sure, covenantal love for David to show you that I can have that kind of love for anyone, including you. I love that. I love that. How kind of God picked David. How kind of him. And you and I know that in Psalm 63, David says these words, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So here's the second reason God picks David. David said that 
He said, my soul thirsts. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. He is broke and exhausted. Yet the second reason God picks David is because David has everything at his disposal. He lives in a castle. Servants, wives, money, food, wine, chariots, prestige, respect. He's the victor. He's the man. And yet what does he say? Oh, my soul is just thirsty. So on one hand, we've got David being, I think, called out in this verse to show us that, well, he's a pretty bad example. Yet look at God's love for him. And at the same time, he picks David because we know that David had it all. And yet David knew to go to God to say, I don't have anything. My, my soul is dying for something. And I can't find it in my castle and in all of my servants and all of my money and all of my respect. I can't find it. So I go to God. And I say, God, my soul just thirsts for you. I just thirst for you, God. I need you, God. So I just want to ask you this morning, where do you see yourself in Isaiah 55? Are you thirsty and broke? And you know it. I'm like, I know it. I came this morning so thirsty and broke. Or do you just want to be a diligent listener because you don't see how broke and thirsty you are? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. I could use a little bit of water, but I don't know if I'm really that thirsty. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I don't know. But I think it's good for us to look, look at this call from Isaiah. Go, Isaiah, where, where am I? God, show me where I am in these verses. Help my ears to be inclined to listen to you. See, all, all I, all I want to do this morning, Matt, as one of your pastors, is echo these words of Isaiah into your heart so that you will go to God with your thirst and your hunger. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen diligently. Listen diligently to me. And come and eat what is good. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, my steadfast, sure love for David. I want to give you just a few minutes this morning just to sit on your own with your neighbor, talk to your spouse, just process Isaiah 55. Think about it. Ask yourself the question, where am I? Where do I see myself in Isaiah 55? Where do I want to be in Isaiah 55? Just great chances to pray, think, and in a minute or two, Alex is going to lead us in a, in a song. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. What beautiful words you have for us here in Isaiah 55. God, we are 
so grateful that you pursue us. Thank you for your pursuit of us day in and day out. Thank you you don't leave us on our own. Thank you that you don't abandon us when we decide that we're going to try to find wine and bread and milk and satisfaction and other things, but that you come after us. We praise you for that, Lord. And I ask right now, Spirit, you would help us to see where we are in Isaiah 55. Show us where we are. And Lord, we desperately need your Spirit to give us the ability to incline our ears. We need you to help us to hear. God, I can't listen diligently unless you open my ears and my heart to what you want to say. And so, Spirit, right now, I pray that you would speak to every one of us. I ask you to show us where we are in in these verses. And God, I pray that you would meet each one of my friends in this room where they're at for what they need. God, if they need strength, that you'd give them strength. If they need joy, that you'd give them joy. God, whatever it is that's happening in their lives, I pray that you would meet them and that you would show them your steadfast, sure love. God, do that work, I pray. Meet us right now. As we spend a few minutes just alone with you, speak to us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.